0: I'm sure a lot of you are kind of in the same place I am right now in terms of uh, who are parents, kind of getting back into the scramble of taking kids here and bringing them there. This week I was uh, at the Y, because my kids are now enrolled in karate. And it was kind of cool to watch them trying to know there's, you know, different levels of belts. Um, but what was really remarkable for me was there was one child who was in the karate program who I had met earlier when I was at camp, and my kids had gone to camp for a week. And he had gotten really close with my son Dominic, and they were both from uh, Waterdown, so I was kind of excited about this connection. And we had kind of give, given our information to him to give to his parents, but we never got we never got a phone call. And so when I met him there, he was talking uh, with Dominic; they were kind of connecting. And a little bit later on, I got to meet this kind of large, physically fit guy, really nice smile, it was warm. He's like, "Hello, I'm Joseph's dad," and we began conversing. And I I learned that he is from Syria. He was here for about two years, uh, they came, uh, and he's still kind of finishing off his veterinary license because he was a veterinarian in Syria, but now he's kind of relocating here, um, and his wife was already working, and, and he's really excited to be in Canada, and we started just k- hitting it off, and I realized like, we live really close to each other, and it was, a, it was a really warm, welcoming conversation. He was talking about things back in the home country in Syria, and he mentioned something about religion, and I said, oh... Uh, Do you have a faith? And he kind of stopped, and he looked at me and said, Yes, I grew up Christian, but to be honest, I don't know if I want to raise my son with any religion right now. And I immediately realized um, that there was a big wall that had been built up in his life. And that wall was actually probably literal at times, like an actual physical wall protecting him and his family from incoming attacks. And I realized, oh, when we talk about these walls being built, this gets real. And as I spoke with him, I obviously didn't press it too much. He was just really happy. He's like, "Yo, you got to come over to my house for a barbecue someday. And, and so we were connecting on that. And I'm really excited to, to do that. And I was like, yes. And then I just thought when I was going home about these walls. The walls that a Christian community can build to the point where they are not able to engage with another side. Walls where other faiths can come towards our faith. And just the fact that, that actually trusting in God can lead someone to somehow build a wall against another person. And that hurts. And I know that I'm not immune from it. I know that we're not immune from it. I know that the church isn't immune from it. In fact, when we look into the Scriptures, we start to see Jesus' life. We see that really the biggest wall often that was put between him and others was put up by religious people. I want to turn to Luke 5, often called the the calling of Levi. Verse 27. And after this, Jesus went out. He saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, he left everything, and he followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, There's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When I read this text, I see a Jesus who meets people where they're at. He meets them at their work. He meets them in their homes. He meets them in their sin. He meets them where they're at, who they are. And I also see the tendency for those who want to come closer to God to kind of bracket that out. I see Pharisees who really wanted to make sure that they put up walls. In fact, actually, they had this thing called fence laws. They put around laws. So, oh, I don't want to get too close to even getting close to breaking that law, so I'll put other laws up, other walls up around those ones. I want to just take a moment to look at the, the kind of the, the context, the flow of what's happening here in this text. We already saw last week, kind of the last episode before this episode. But if you go back even a little bit further, Jesus has called some disciples, fishermen. They've gotten up, they've followed him immediately. Then he heals a man who has been possessed by an evil spirit, someone who just people stay away from, hands off, don't want near them. And then he heals someone who has leprosy. Again, hands off, don't touch. And then he heals someone who is a paraplegic, who people will actually, he couldn't even get to Jesus. I don't know about you, I'm starting to see a theme in this, that Jesus is liberating people from malignant spirits, from physical handicaps, from social handicaps. This is what he's doing. This is his purpose that he's moving with. And so he comes, after doing all of this, to an outcast that's a little bit different. He's an outcast by occupation. Jesus went and he saw this tax collector. And notice how he goes right up to the booth. I I almost imagine uh, rolling up to the U.S. authorities, you know, when you're going to go across the border, rolling down your window. Do you have anything to declare? Yes, I declare that you will follow me. (laughs) That's what Jesus is doing, right? And the guy's like, all right. Jumps right in and travels on with Jesus. That's what what we're talking about. He's meeting him at his job where he's supposed to be collecting tariffs uh, and duties on products. And Jesus says, follow me. And this man immediately goes, yes. Part of this is because he knows Jesus is a rabbi, and this is a great honor. He recognizes, this is a a -a once-in-a-lifetime shot I got. And I, I know this man's reputation, and I know that this is something that can change my life. And so he goes out. Now, who is this man, this tax collector? There, uh, you'll see in other translations it says the word publican. Not republican, though they might also be sinners. But, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm joking. Uh, Democrats as well are sinners. We're all sinners, okay? So. <laughs> A publican. A publican is someone who is basically working for the public good, supposedly. They're not just actually collecting taxes. They would actually help work on projects. They would help uh, supply the military with equipment and these types of things. They're basically logistics officers for the Roman government. And a big reason that they're known for their tax especially is because there was a system called tax farming, which was basically the government's like, collecting taxes is a lot of work. CRA, right? And so they say, let's just farm it out. We'll just hire some people and they'll pay us a bunch of money for the right to go collect taxes. And then what happens is these guys go out and they collect the taxes and they have to make sure they collect as much as they just gave to the Romans. And usually what they do is they they value your goods and they charge extra. So these tax collectors aren't just unpopular with the Pharisees, like the, the religious elite. They're actually extremely unpopular with the regular Joe and Jane. When Jesus calls Levi, you can imagine a bunch of, not just the religious people, the other people going like, what are you doing? This guy's a thief. He's been basically overcharging, taking all this stuff from us. Not only that, he is constantly connected to the Romans. And the Romans are this oppressive empire, this regime that is crushing us as believers in Yahweh. Why in the heck would you call him as a disciple? And so you can have all these questions for, but Jesus is meeting him where he's at. He says, this tax collector has every bit of a need to come with me, as any other person in our society. By the way, tax farming is often considered one of the reasons why the Western Roman Empire fell. It was a bad system. It was a corrupt system, it was an oppressive system, and he is a part of it, and yet Jesus wants him and his crew. Levi, we learn later, is a man named Matthew, who actually gets to write an entire gospel about who Jesus is. Now, how does Levi respond to this call? The first thing he does is he does it immediately. He's like, I want Jesus. I know this. I need him. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't go, oh, let me take these things with me. And he says, I, I'm with you, which I think is a really important thing for us to remember that when we come to Jesus, we are to leave everything. If the job is building a wall between you and Jesus, leave it. If your things are building a wall between you and Jesus, leave it. And so he does this, to I mean, he, he re- recognizes what's happening, and he says, I'm, I'm, I want Jesus. And then I love what happens with Jesus, because he says, okay, I, what do I want to do now? I want to have a party. This is exciting. And Levi hasn't learned yet that you only invite your fellow Christian disciples to dinner. And then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others. Notice the word others is used here by by Luke. They were eating with them. He doesn't just immediately cut out all his old friends. He's not like, oh, I love Jesus, therefore I can't love you. It's the opposite. I love Jesus so much, you gotta meet this guy. I'm gonna have a big barbecue and you're going to all come over. We're going to have the block party on the patio. And you're going to come, and you're going to get to meet Jesus face to face. Well, I'm a tax collector. I don't know, man. We're not part-. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why, but he wants us there. And so he calls all these tax collectors together. Maybe he's just being a bit... Naive, this Matthew, right? He, 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 he didn't understand like, how it's supposed to work when you enter into a religious relationship with a rabbi. But what's interesting about this, this is exactly what it's supposed to be. Come over to my house for a party. Jesus is going to be there. I hope we can all do that this year. Recognizing we're inviting people into relationship with a good God, even as we just eat with them. This is probably one of the best ways to bring down walls, this whole eating thing. I think it's really important. We don't don't recognize what what it means. Because what happens is, I don't know who invited them, but the party poopers show up, right? Somehow they're hovering around. They're not happy with this situation, with this party. And they're not happy for for God-fearing reasons as far as they're concerned. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to us have complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, you might just think, oh, this is a jealousy thing. Actually, what's happening is the Pharisees see Jesus' act as radically attacking their entire philosophy. It's not just a simple, oh, we don't like sinners. This is actually radically attacking their entire philosophy. For they have this thing called table fellowship. And table fellowship is when you sit down with someone, you are putting yourself at the same level as them, you're accepting them, you're welcoming them, and guess what? You're also welcoming to yourself their their contamination. Whatever's going on with them, you receive. That's actually in the law. That if you sit down and eat a meal with someone who's unclean, you become unclean. And so for them, they're saying, this is against God's law. Now, what's interesting is, I talked before about how their attitudes. The Pharisees actually have put God's law on them in a way that's not actually the way it was originally meant to be. You see, in the Old Testament, there were the, the priests. And they were called to be clean for six weeks of a year. They had to be entirely clean because they were going to go into serving into the temple. So they had to be completely clean. And those priests could not sit down and eat with sinners during that six weeks because then they would become contaminated and unholy. What's interesting is, though, it was just six weeks. And it was very specific people. It was these priests. The Pharisees said, we are going to be so godly that we're going to do it all year long, always. 52 weeks a year. Do you get what's going on? They've actually taken the law and they've twisted it. God didn't want a law where you never got to sit down to eat a meal with someone who was unclean ever in your life. And yet this is how the Pharisees have taken this and said, we will be holy. We will be pure. To the point where now they've actually put a wall up between them and other people who might want to know a little bit about God. And this is why Jesus is always coming to these problems. You'll see it in the book of Luke. It, it just keeps happening. Jesus does something. Pharisees get really mad. And then Jesus answers them and kind of rebukes them. In fact, Jesus is, is intentionally violating all of the Pharisees' rules. He, he, he actually does it. He, so he eats with them. He eats with the wrong crowd. He eats with unwashed hands at a certain point. He uh, criticizes sitting in, in status in and, and, and a certain order. Where you, When you eat at a table, you should eat in order of your status. He actually serves people instead of being served, which is outrageous to some people. He encourages you to invite to your banquet people who cannot repay you in any way. This is how Jesus deals with the banquet table. He's actually radically redefining how you eat. He's turning every single meal he has in public into a parable. It's a picture of a church without walls. This is the way I want my followers to live. To be connected, to live with, to meet people where they're at. There's a reason behind this. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick Pharisees, don't you realize that the people you're supposed to be eating with are people that you can, should be helping? I think Jesus is talking about his, his medical specialty. My specialty is to heal people's spirits. That's what I'm here for. And I obviously heal people physically as well, he says, but it's about healing the brokenhearted, the spiritually sick now, when I first read these verses uh, growing up, I always heard this, I came to heal not the healthy, but the sick. And I always took that as meaning, oh, you Pharisees, you're healthy. You don't need me. You're good. I'll leave you where you're going. Let me focus on the sick. You do your thing. You're all, you're all healthy. But now as I start to read Jesus and I start to see what he's doing, I'm actually reading him with a little bit of, it's a little bite back. What he's saying is, hey, I'm here to heal those who are sick, the, the unrighteous, the Pharisees are self-righteous. That's actually their sickness, and they don't see it. And so what Jesus is saying here is like, hey, these guys know they need me. These guys can accept that they're hurting, they're broken, they're full of sin. They need my grace. The Pharisees are hearing, I think, a little, a little note here, kind of pushing them to recognize that they also are going to be needing his doctoring abilities. Jesus would rather spend time, I think he'd rather us spend time with people who know that they need help. I think a lot of us would recognize that and hope when we gather in our CUBCOMs and our, our small groups, if we're in groups, that we all come to those groups and like, I, I need help help. I need Jesus. I need to work out my faith with you. I need this. I need you. And everyone looks at each other with that same need, that same knowledge. I'm broken in need of a Savior. I'm not called the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, Notice he introduces a really interesting word here repentance. In the middle of all this talk, and we're talking about bringing down walls and accepting the sick, and he still says this word repentance, which is a, is a push button word. Jesus isn't getting soft here. Actually, what he's saying is that we need to recognize our need to be forgiven. And he uses the Pharisees all the time, by the way. There's another place later on in the book of Luke where he's giving this parable about a marketplace where there's, a, there's a, I, I get, once again, a Pharisee saying, I, I fast all this time, I pray three times daily, I do all these things. He's just talking in public like this, right? And then there's a simple publican, a simple tax collector who comes up and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, says that's what we need right there. That's what we need right there. We don't help things by pretending sin doesn't exist. So in our radical inclusiveness, this isn't just saying, hey, everything's speech story, we're all good. Actually, the radical inclusiveness is, hey, we're all broken. That's why we can all gather as one. So when we talk about the Scripture, we talk about Jesus' acceptance, he doesn't just pretend that sin doesn't exist. It's the exact opposite. Sin is the sickness. Sin is this thing within me that I'm eating myself up with. Whether it's my, my anger that I can't get a lid on, whether it's an addiction, whatever it is, this is the thing that Jesus is coming to heal as we all gather together. It's with those things together, saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus accepts the outcast, but he doesn't pretend that they don't have issues. Jesus accepts us, but he's not pretending that you don't have issues. And when I think of this, I see all this time that Jesus is spending with these people, and, and there's all sorts of questions that come up. I'm sure we think about it. Right in a second. The Pharisees probably had a good point bad company corrupts good morals. That's true. And we might say, oh, that means Jesus can hang out with them, but we can't because, but I don't think that's true because Jesus brought his disciples into there as well. I think he wanted disciples who would sit with the tax collectors. But at the same time, of, of course we need to use wisdom. Someone who's an alcoholic, we're not saying, hey, go to that party. Someone's uh, got a problem with Lust and pornography, yeah, don't go with your friends to that club. You get what I'm saying? Like, there's still some wisdom in these things. But he's, what he's saying is we're not avoiding the contamination of sin because what God's calling us to is to help be part of the remedy. That he could use us as vehicles so that he could help speak into others' lives. Not that you're fixing anyone, you're healing anyone. But Jesus, it works the other way. Notice that, like, when leprosy comes, oh, I touched Jesus, I'm gonna, you're going to get leprosy, Jesus? is like, no. Leprosy's gone. Oh, you're going to touch a tax collector and shake his hand? You're going to get unclean? No. Nope. Levi is now clean. This is the way that Jesus is calling us. And I've seen it, I've seen it. And I, I remember when I was doing hip-hop music in England, when I was still in university, and um, a friend of mine... I met, and he didn't follow Jesus, but he had some friends who did. And, and I remember how slowly but surely the love of Jesus came to be something really real to him. This is someone who's studying to be a psychiatrist, a doctor. You think, oh, he doesn't need anything. Yeah, he needed Jesus. And he came to Jesus because people were willing to be with him. So how do we actually apply this? I asked myself, the first thing I want to ask myself as a Christian Actually, if I'm talking about myself for real, as a pastor, when I read these stories, it is impossible for me not to immediately think about the Pharisees because my job has a religious title in it. So if there's any danger I have, it's very easy to be a Pharisee. And I think a lot of us who who might be gathered here who are Christians, I just want to say to you, watch out for the Pharisee side. It's often easy to kind of go, oh, well, that person's doing that, and that's over there. A lot of times I notice we do it because it's the thing that we hate about ourselves, the thing that we're struggling with. They're like, ah, oh. so we're really upset with it, right? Let's just watch that we don't be Pharisees. We probably will have an easy way to build up walls. It's kind of what religions do, it's not what Jesus does. And that's why I love that we're called to be this church. Without walls, this church without boundaries, this place where everyone can gather. I was uh, sent this recently, and and I really loved the, the wording of it. We have um, a statement of values at Forest View, and one of them is uh, to be inclusive and accepting. And it says this: We have no membership, since membership implies in and out. Instead, we are a center-bound set, which is why we've changed the seating. This couple month this this month in order for us to really get this oh yeah we're center bound we're all bound to Jesus who is in the center the congregation huddled around that point at various times in our lives each of us may be closer or further away from the center sometimes facing towards it sometimes facing away from it as a result we will always have seekers in our midst, at times we may be among them, and so there will be varying levels of engagement depending on readiness. I think this is a, a beautiful understanding of the fact that the church is the one organization that exists for those who are outside of its walls. That's why we're a church without walls. We don't want walls. We are the church, and the church exists to shed the light to the world. And so here we are, gathered around our center, Jesus. And that doesn't mean sin's not sin, but it means that this is where we begin, by looking inward towards Jesus, by bringing others to be huddled towards Jesus, to eat meals with them, to sit with them. When we talk about uh, those who may not know Jesus, I think one of the issues is I hear, I think we create other walls too, not just pharisaical walls. Sometimes we create walls such as, oh, they don't want me to talk about Jesus. I don't know if that's really true. When you actually do it, it's not usually as hostile as you might think. It depends on how you go about it. I I don't feel like starting a conversation is an issue. I think the, the issue is when they don't feel like it's a conversation, it feels like they're a target. Conversation. People want to talk about spiritual things. As if you're going to listen to them and hear what they have to say, instead of inviting friends into our lives, we go to their houses at dinner time and knock on the door and give them pamphlets of doom. Instead of sitting down and having a warm conversation with someone, we might yell messages at them over megaphones. And I know those are stereotypes, but this is how often people think of the church as spreading the good news. When really it's about you, over a burger, just talking about life, and how Jesus has made an impact on you. I I think sometimes um, we see this in in real life where people can, can make a a roadblock for themselves between them and Jesus just because they're afraid. It might be simply a simple thing like this, like, oh, I had this sin in my life, so I better not talk about Jesus to them because then they're going to go, oh, yeah, but you were of this. And it's all big sham. It's exposed to sham. It's not a sham. That's the reality, that you are a sinner who is broken and you recognize that and you need Jesus. They need to see that. Don't make yourself perfect before you can talk about Jesus because guess what? It ain't happening. So this is the reality. For those of you who may feel like you're outside the church, you're like, "Eh," maybe you placed yourself out there. Maybe you felt like you were placed out there. I remember uh, for a little while I walked away from the church because I felt like they had put a wall around someone I loved. So I understand that. Sometimes you have this feeling with you. What I want to say to you is, first of all, what, what is the thing that you're building? Is it your own, like, oh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a sinner. I can't come to Jesus. Don't, don't feel like you have to get better to come eat with Jesus. Another thing is, maybe what's holding you back is that you have this ego. It's like, oh, I know who I am. And who I am. But really, deep down inside, you know, it's not getting better on your own. You know you need something. There is a God who loves you, who wants to dine with you. Maybe take his hand. And we can all eat together. Jesus meets you where you're at. If you're in pain, he's meeting you with tears. If you're in self-hatred and self-loathing, He's me with the wellspring of love that will just fill that void, that black hole you think can never get filled. He has the ability to do that. If you're struggling with addictions, He's going to meet you there and work with you to have the strength to do whatever is taking you to get through these things. When I look at the table today, I see an invitation. And there's a lot of different theologies about how the Eucharist works and and how we approach it. What I would say to you is, one thing that I found very exciting in my life is to see this table as an invitation to follow Jesus. I had a friend uh, who I met at church. He started coming to church in Toronto, and then um, I discovered he was blogging about us. Like, oh, I went to this weird church today, and this happened. And the next week, he'd kind of report on this sermon, so it was kind of neat, because I could actually get some feedback. He didn't know I I was following him, following me, or whatever it was. And, and he was going, through, so I'd follow him on his blog, and I remember coming to him one day and Face was like, hey, so how you feeling? Like, your blog seems really positive, you're, you're loving Jesus, and you want to come to him? He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet, I don't know. He's like, but you'll know when you see me at the table. And I remember the day that he walked up to the table, and he took a piece of bread, and he took the cup. And then he turned around, he had a giant bear hug from me and one of my friends, like, ah, oh, welcome to the family. So I just want to encourage us all today to, to look at the table as an invitation to dine with Jesus, to come to Jesus, to be with Jesus. We don't know, none of us know exactly what all that means, but come meet Jesus. If you want to follow him, if you want, if you want to be like Levi, to respond that way, Come to Jesus. There's no no walls here. Those of us who are part of this church family, the Church Without Walls, let's just dedicate ourselves to continually thinking about this whole question. How is it that we can keep tearing down what it is that comes between people and Jesus? We don't want to get in the way. We just want to be the ones who introduce. You know what? What? Today, you might just be in need of an introduction yourself again hey, I need to, I need to come back hey jesus it 's been a while since we really talked. He says, "Come on and dine with me let 's pray. God, we thank you for this call to be a church without walls. We thank you that you called. Levi, who the regular people hated and the religious people hated, and yet you loved. We pray that we would be a people characterized by that love. We pray you would give us opportunities to speak from love. We pray, Lord God, that as we come to the table today, that you would remind us that Jesus broke bread and said, this is my body, it was broken for you. He poured a cup and he said, this is my blood shed to forgive you of your sins, to wipe you clean, to wipe all people clean. And those who trust in Jesus are forgiven, given a new lease in life, a new hope, a new joy. Let us return. Let us come to this table excited to eat with you. In Jesus' name, amen.